Hello, this is Lionel Burney, and you are listening to the latest in our series of episodes introducing the Cycling Podcast presenters, and this time it's my turn to face the questions. This episode was recorded in December 2020, and it features me in conversation with Orla Shenui. Orla was at home in Amsterdam, and I was in Not Watford, and we were talking over Zoom or something similar. And over the course of a couple of hours, yes, this is a bumper episode. I'm giving you a heads up. And if this is a bit too much Lionel Burney for your liking, then I quite understand. But over the course of a couple of hours, we cover my route into journalism and how I focused on cycling. And as ever, we take a few detours along the way. So I hope you enjoy listening. So here we are, Lionel Burney. Your life story. <laughs> I'm laughing just because I'm looking at you. You started this with your head in your hands. Uh, this has taken over a year now to sit down with you and talk about uh, your journey through this world. Wow. Why have you put it off so much? I, it wasn't necessarily putting it off, but I did want to see how everyone else's interviews went down <laughs> first before committing. Uh, I mean, normally I have to pay £60 to spend an hour talking about about myself but uh this is this is all free isn't it uh, thank you very much Orla I'm sure you're very very welcome checks in the post I'm sure it'll be just as professional absolutely I mean how far back do you want me to go <laughs> <laughs> how far back do we go in the womb what are your memories of the womb uh patchy patchy don't go that, <laughs> that far I'm afraid no um no we're not going quite that far back are we I mean no, we're not. We're not. But but I find this an interesting place to start, Lionel. I find that for someone who has to and who has freely put, him out, put himself out there so much in writing, in podcast, in all sorts of media, you're very reluctant to actually do that in a way. It's like you're going against your nature by your very job. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, Richard's often said that people who go into written journalism are quite introverted types. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And so the podcast is, is me sort of out of my shell. And I guess we're all, when we're broadcasting, and again, it still feels kind of odd to even use that word uh, when I talk about what we do. But I guess that is what we do. We're broadcasting our our thoughts and our journalism. It's not what I got into the industry to do really I didn't think I thought this whole uh, bit of journalism or whatever it is we we do was for other people much more confident people people a bit more telegenic perhaps um you know less uh, less irritating voices I don't know I mean <laughs> I, I don't know whether it's You've got that, a lovely common, voice. Uh, that uh, but doesn't everyone cringe a bit when they hear themselves back I mean I think that's human mm-hmm. nature anyway um but I find it really quite tough to listen back to stuff um, that I've done unless there's a bit of distance to it I think and I don't know why that is I think just a a sense of that could have been better um, a sort of probably a slightly misplaced perfectionist streak that um, I'm trying to eradicate really Um, I'm trying to sort of get over that hurdle of, uh, of of thinking that the things that I've just done could have been better or you know and and turn it around so that you know we're always trying to improve what we do aren't we if I, I i look at the podcast and think well if our output next year can be a bit better than what we did this year then that's that's progress and i suppose that's how i've looked at a lot of the things i've done um i mean I'm, i don't want to i don't want to suggest that everything i've done i look at and uh and 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 sort of 
pick the holes in it but because i'm very proud of a lot of the things that i have done but there is an i think there's an element of that that's healthy otherwise um you know you don't put something on the shelf and say oh fantastic that's uh, the best mm-hmm. thing that i can ever do because what would you why would you carry on if you feel like you've done the best thing you're ever going to do that's kind of the the pinnacle and you kind of would lose the edge lose the point of carrying on doing it i suppose that would be it. Job done. I'm going to take you back to the very beginning in a moment, but I'm, I want to pick up on something you just said that, that really piqued me. Why misplaced perfectionist streak? Why is that misplaced? Why why shouldn't you be a perfectionist? I think sometimes, for me personally, it gets in the way of progress and it gets in the way of completing things. And I've got a, a list of long as my arm of things that I was going to do or get you know a project that I would work on that that's just not you know not gone anywhere um and i think sometimes this, the sense of being hamstrung by you know is this good enough that you start letting the self-doubt in and seeing the holes in things and the problems in things and uh, i don't want to just you know refer everything back to um, my colleagues on the podcast but one of the things that i've really taken from richard or tried to take from richard is just his um ability to just keep going forwards and um he does that on the podcast i mean he's not nicknamed the buffalo for nothing (laughs) is he 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 leads he does lead from the front and you know i think it's very easy and i've often looked at richard and thought how does he write something that good so quickly or you know how come he just gets on with the next thing the next thing and and assume that there's no doubts in his mind either and i'm sure there are and he said there are there are but it's that um I, i sometimes feel if I think too much about something for too long, I slow myself down, I get tied up in it, and, and to a degree, kind of get bored of my own brain before <laughs> I've got underway with a, with a project. And so I do have to sort of work at that a little bit sometimes. Oh, there's so much to go through with that, Lionel. I was looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> You're not disappointing already. Um, but we'll, we'll start at the beginning, shall we? Where did your love of cycling come from? Where does that passion come from? Cycling and football, I should say, really. Yeah, um, well, both from my dad. And football came first. He was and still is a Watford supporter, and he went to matches when he was a boy with his dad. Um, something that I actually didn't really find out about until quite recently. Um, I didn't know that he'd been to matches with his dad, my grandfather, because uh, my grandfather died before I was born. So um, it's a it's an interest that's passed down, and I suppose as I learned that, it's gained an even greater significance. But my dad took me to my first football match when I was eight. Um, I can still remember the day so clearly because for months I'd been badgering, badgering him to take me to a match. And back in the 80s, you know, football was not necessarily the family-friendly hmm. um, experience that it is today. Watford, with Graham Taylor as the manager, had really made an effort to be family-friendly and they created something they called the family terrace, which meant that parents could take their children and there was a, a line drawn halfway up the terrace and only the children were allowed to stand at the front uh, so they could all see and the parents would, would stand behind. And I just remember being on the terrace and, you know, every couple of minutes looking back over my shoulder to check I could still see where my dad was in the crowd. And there were just things there that planted a seed um you know, when I think about why did I get into this industry, it's just because we bought a football program, a little magazine with the teams listed on the back and, the, um, you know, all the, the features, the centre spread with the poster of the players and the 
manager's notes and and I just had this object that was a souvenir of the match and was a, a portal into a sport into a world and I mean I'm a very youthful looking 45 I'm sure you'll agree all that <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I'd, but if there are any younger listeners uh, out there you know wondering why these objects were so important I mean there was no internet then I mean at the time I don't think we even had CFAX or teletext on our TV I mean that's a whole other explanation <laughs> we'll, 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 expl- it. we'll explain <laughs> we'll explain what CFAX was in the show notes shall we um, and so when I went to you know I supported Watford by default because it was my dad's team and you, you kind of fall in love with it instantly there's just something about a, a football match the smell of the burgers and onions in the street as you're walking up and the floodlights and the, the, the shape of the ground and the the cold in the air and in those days a sort of cigarette smoke in the air as well and the noise and the colors and all of that but it was this program this physical thing that you could take home and then I could just sit sit in my bedroom and just read it from cover to cover um, and it gave me so much to kind of wallow in, really. Like, who are the teams in the league? What's so we're in Division One, but what's well, you? You couldn't just go online and go right. Let's let's learn who the ninety-two football clubs are. You had to get a book, or and I suppose that was my journey. I went through buying the programs for every game, and then you know, even at quite a young age, eight nine, I would be sitting at the dining room table with the broadsheet newspaper spread out just studying the league tables almost committing them to memory in a way you know who's who's top of the second division who's second who's third and just storing that information away going through you know what's the name of Sheffield Wednesday's ground why are Mansfield called the stags and just absorbing so much information over probably a year or two years um, and just really enjoying that there was all this stuff out there to learn and um, then a bit later on, probably not that much later on, because I, I've got a memory of watching the Tour de France highlights as um, a little package on World of Sport on a Saturday afternoon. And it would have been 83 or 84. And I can remember sort of Laurent Fignon, Sean Kelly, those types of riders. And my dad was watching it. And I, because my dad was interested, I was interested. And... Um, then kind of over the next few years you know uh, it was it wasn't until 1986 was it that the tour de france um was broadcast nightly on channel four and uh my dad would not get in from work until after the program had finished so um that summer 1986 was also a world cup summer the world cup was in mexico and all the games were late in the evening and so you know being the age i was i wasn't allowed to stay up until midnight watching the matches so we we got a video recorder for the first time and so uh, recorded the matches and I'd, I'd watch them the next day and when the Tour de France came around what probably a month later my dad just said oh can you record Channel 4 Tour de France half past six or whatever time it was and so that really that was like a fast track into uh into cycling you know I'd had a little bit of interest just just uh, just from those highlights packages really on on a Saturday afternoon on World of Sport or wherever it was at the time but the nightly coverage just transported me to this other world and it it was it was so eye-opening I can just remember sitting in in my beanbag probably only about sort of six feet from the telly just eyes wide open just taking as much of it in as possible and and then going back and watching it again when my dad got in and watching it for the second time and I can remember actually um 
sometimes I would pretend that I'd not caught it. I didn't <laughs> see it, no. And then I'd watch it with my dad, pretending that I was watching it as live. And, and so I could, I'd sort of, you know, feign uh, surprise at the attack or just didn't finish or whatever. <laughs> and I suppose there's something quite interesting in that. It was, it was a way to, um, you know, connect uh, and, and share something with him as, as we did with football. But it kind of got us through the summer between the football seasons, I suppose. This episode is available to friends of the podcast. To sign up, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. <laughs>